0: Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, September 19th, 2021. I am Dan Rubin. This is Almost Live. Our in-season Sunday morning podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined by the people's champ today, Matt Baxendell. Bax, how are you?
1: Well, at least we got a win yesterday, so that's automatically better than last week. But I think there's still a lot of things that are going to need corrected if Ohio State wants to meet the goals we talked about in August.
0: There's no question we have some recurring themes we're going to have to deal with here. We're going to break down the game, take a little break. And then kind of go around the Big Ten and some other national scores to talk about stuff that affects our Buckeyes. First, this is Bucknuts. We must mention that Ohio State did win 41 to 20 and covered amazingly, though I'm sure people with cash on the Buckeyes sweated that one out till the downstretch. We need to credit freshman Phenom Trabion Henderson. Maybe the only thing that's as good as we thought heading into the season. He went nuts, rushing for a freshman record, 277 yards, and he looked all of the number one running back we've gotten in a long time. Let's start with the positive, your thoughts on the performance of the freshman running back.
1: Well, first of all, I didn't realize Archie Griffin still had the freshman rushing record. I could have sworn Maurice Claret's game against Washington State in 2002, where he went off was the one that broke the record. But, uh, you know, this is incredible, what Trivion Henderson did yesterday. First of all, he is very clearly the starting running back. Second of all, this needs to be the identity of this offense going forward is the line opening holes up for a guy who has breakaway speed but also happens to be an excellent runner on power. I mean, this guy has the whole package. He looked like Zeke. This is the first time we've had a tailback that looked like Zeke since Zeke. And that's a big compliment. And I have to say, Travion Henderson has some shimmy to him. That one long touchdown run where that head fake he had at full speed left the safety just on his butt, was, there, there's a lot to this kid. And this is in multiple games now. We've seen him with home run hitting ability. And this needs to be the absolute identity of this offense. The offense needs to say, we're going to run Travion Henderson at you. And have everything build off of that. This is a this is this is the biggest positive by a, a country mile about the game yesterday was his performance. The fact that we we gave the guy who was performing the best the start and then let him run. I mean, this this is this was nice to see. Uh, the running back situation was a little confusing, being that Mayan Williams didn't get a single carry. But at the end of the day, Travion Henderson threw ran for two hundred and seventy seven yards. The offense overall ran for over 320. That's a great showing on the ground. That's the one real major positive we can talk about from yesterday, which, you know, being Bucknuts, everybody's like, yeah, that's great, but, and I'm sure we'll get to the but in a minute, but this is certainly something that, you know, needs to be appreciated. This kid looks like he's going to be absolutely freaking fantastic. In fact, I think he already is.
0: Keep in mind, people, this was his first start. There's one thing about showing up when you're called on. Then there's another to break a record at a program like Ohio State, known for producing great running backs. It's just a different look to him. He's a special football player. Kind of feel bad for Mayan Williams. He may never start another game here. But do you think the offensive line made any huge strides this weekend?
1: Definitely. And same for Master Teague. Master Teague had one run that was a big run. It's like a 15, 16-yard run. He had a, a hole the size of a vehicle to run through. So I think the offensive line, look, they've been maligned the first couple of weeks here for good reason, but I thought the line played well yesterday. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people who are going to point out that they still need to clean up some stuff and pass pro, which we'll get to. Um, but at the end of the day, the O-line opened up holes for these guys to average something like eight yards of carry on the ground. That's a good game from your offensive line, period. And sure, it helps when a guy like Henderson takes a 12-yard gain and turns it into a 55-yard touchdown. But at the end of the day, I thought the line was all right yesterday. Like I I think that the O-line is slowly getting there. I'm a little concerned about Thayer Munford being in the walking boot. That would be a loss, even though he's had trouble adjusting to guard. But I, I do think the offensive line is moving in a positive direction right now.
0: What other positive do you want to highlight before we get nuts?
1: Here was the theme of the day about good things yesterday. Freshmen. I was really confused why most of our best players were freshmen, but I think most of our best players yesterday were freshmen. Uh, Not just Trevion Henderson. If you look on defense, Denzel Burke is already looking like he's going to be a stud right away. I don't remember any time we've had a true freshman show up like this at corner and perform as well as he had. Typically, in fact, Our cornerbacks as freshmen show up, they kind of get torched for a year, and they learn from it, and they get better and eventually become first-round picks. So Denzel Burke was a super positive. Cam Martinez was a super positive to me. I was really excited to see the way he played. Uh, You had JTT and Tyleek Williams on the D-line, who were probably the two best D-linemen yesterday. For whatever reason, our freshmen played very well, and everybody else kind of was okay. And that's, that's, that's a great thing for the freshmen, but it's a bad sign overall for the program when your freshmen are leading the way at a place like Ohio State with all the talent we have. So that's the positive to me is, is there's some real, these pups are biting early and that's a great sign. And now all the rest of the dogs we thought we had need to start getting it in gear and catching up.
0: I think when the dust settles from the weekend, the number one story is going to be this, is CJ Shroud going to be the quarterback for the rest of the season? He just doesn't look super confident. I get missing high in the earlier football games because you're geeked up. That seems to be an actual issue with his release or something connected to his feet. I don't have a tremendous amount of confidence in him right now. And maybe he's just suffering by comparison to the guy who should be starting for the Bears. Where are you on the quarterback? Obviously, this is a loaded question because moves at the quarterback position have exponential, you know, ripple effects. So. Address the quarterback situation, please.
1: Three games I've been unimpressed with C.J. Stroud, flat out. Even Oregon, when he put up big numbers, he's not making the plays that extend drives, that get third down conversions. He seems utterly unwilling to run the ball, even when there's like a zone read play where if he just keeps it, he has 10 yards that he can jog because everybody's crashing down on the running back. He will not do it. And if his shoulder is really injured, then he shouldn't be on the field. In fact, if he's trying to gut through a shoulder injury because he's afraid he's going to get sat down to heal and never get back on the field, that's not a good reason for Ohio State to play him, and Ryan Day needs to recognize that. I am not impressed with C.J. Stroud. He has happy feet in the pocket. They had to roll him out to the right just to get him to be able to complete passes. And when everybody's like, oh, my gosh, Chris Olave didn't catch a pass, that's on Stroud. That's not on Olave, right? And by the way, there was one catch from Chris Olave that was a fairly sizable completion that got called back by a penalty. And I had people tell me, well, that was a great play. No, it was a terrible pass. Olave was three strides past the guy and he had to wait for a ball that hung up to get to him. A decent pass and stride, that's a touchdown for Olave that gets called back. So you want my opinion on why the offense struggled yesterday? It starts and ends with CJ Stroud happy feet in the pocket, throwing the ball high, not willing to run whenever there's running opportunities. Uh, He's got to get rolled out of the pocket to be able just to make him feel comfortable because he's afraid of getting hit right now. And I just, in a game where you run for over 300 yards and you can't complete passes to the best fleet of receivers in college football, unimpressed. This is a guy who is barely completing 62% of his passes uh, on a team. And most of those passes he's not completing are coming on critical downs, right? Like, first and 10, I bet you he has great numbers, right? At the end of the day, when you have JSN, when you have Garrett Wilson, and when you have Chris Olave, I'm sorry. You're going to put up numbers like we saw against Oregon, but they were empty calorie numbers. That's how you have 600-something yards of offense against Oregon and only scored 28 points. I'm not impressed with C.J. Stroud. I want to see Kyle McCord. And Akron is a great game to do it. If Stroud's not healthy, fine. Maybe he's a lot better player than we've seen. But right now, he looks mediocre to me. A mediocre is not going to get it done for Ohio State.
0: Yeah, this is a powder keg because, like you said, if he isn't healthy, there's no reason he should be on the field at Akron. But if you put Kyle McCord in there and, he, you know, he thrives against Akron, you're going to have issues coming out of that game in terms of who should be the starter. We talked ad nauseum coming into the season about the receivers. The Tulsa receivers were the ones who put up the numbers. Our guys had pedestrian efforts and then Olave without a catch. It's troubling, man. It's going to be weird now going against Akron, which I think someone said is like the second worst team in division one. So like you said, a lot of guys will get the chance to get out there. I don't necessarily buy the theory that all these young guys are going to be happy with a few snaps against Akron. I don't think that appeases anybody really, but you can pretty much guarantee in three other households, there was discussion about their son should be in at quarterback. And that is a dangerous situation. If you had to predict what's coming up this week at quarterback, what do you see status quo or do you think they will dip?
1: Like you said, it's, a, it, it's the powder keg is a great example. And the half-empty horseshoe next Saturday night against Akron is going to be very interesting for a program that feels like it's careening a little bit right now. Um, I think that if you are Mr. and Mrs. McCord, you see zero reason why your child is not getting a lot of opportunities and early against Akron. I expect CJ to start. But there should be a game plan that by the third series, that's a that's a Kyle McCord series, right? Um, if you're Jack Miller's parents, this is a if he doesn't play, we might as well make just put him in the portal now, sort of game. Really, the only kid of the of the four that I think is uh, going to not really be sitting here thinking my kid should play this week is yours, because I think everybody understands he wasn't expected to play this year, getting his. Uh, Getting, getting himself acclimated to college a year early. Kyle McCord was good. when we, Every time we've seen him in practices, in the spring game, he was a top 30 recruit. He's been here. At this point, if he does not play, especially, I would frankly, the game plan to me would be, all right, CJ, if your arm's healthy, you're going to play. And I'm going to judge you based on performance like you should be if you're healthy. And then I'm going to see what McCord does. And I know we're getting into starting the Big Ten schedule a week afterwards, but you start with Maryland and Rutgers. Not in that order. I think it's Rutgers and Maryland. But those are pretty good games to acclimate a Philly kid in at the starting role. And here's the deal with quarterbacks too, Dan. Going all the way back to the Barrett era. Like, I've been the guy who looks at it and goes, it's not good enough, right? I was calling for Haskins before most people. And by the way, that was correct. At the end of the day, there's a baseline of expectation. And I remember talking to Dave on one of our podcasts back in August. He goes, what's your expectation for C.J. Stroud? Well, my answer was to be the best quarterback in the Big Ten, not to be the guy from Penn State who's a mediocre player at quarterback, but, hey, he got to win last night. We'll talk about that later. He's not been anywhere near the best quarterback in the Big Ten, and we have to have more performance from him in clutch moments. And I can point out all the things that Stroud's failed to do. Third down conversions, run the ball when he needs to, make accurate passes whenever he's under duress, not get happy feet in the pocket. And he had two opportunities against Oregon to tie the game, and he, and he didn't, flat out didn't do it. So maybe it's unfair after three starts to look at the kid and go, he doesn't have it. He's not at the level you need to be to be at Ohio State. Or maybe it's incredibly fair considering the talent that's waiting behind him. It's going to be the story going forward because it's not been good enough so far. And with better quarterback play, even as bad as the defense has overall been in general, this team would still be undefeated.
0: Yeah, Ryan Day has some quarterback guru vibes, but if he doesn't handle this correctly, he's gonna have a hard time justifying his big time salary. That's really what he's in there for. I don't think Chris Olave came back to be a first round pick and thought he's gonna have games without a reception. And Brian Hartland's gonna have a harder time recruiting when the guys either aren't getting on the field and when they do. Rarely does a ball touch their hands. This is going to be a very interesting thing to watch. Perhaps the biggest news heading into the week was who was going to call the defense. I thought this was a tad overrated as a storyline. However, Matt Barnes was on the field. Kerry Combs was in the box.
1: You know, this was, I think, something that you could see a tangible difference on this week. First of all, OSU blitzed a lot more than usual. Uh, We didn't really see any blitzes against Oregon. That was a big complaint, right? Now we're, we saw a defense that was a little more aggressive. I think there was some recognition that maybe they weren't getting as much pressure from the front four as they would normally expect. The one thing I didn't get though, is, is when they started dialing up the blitzes, they started softening their coverage. They should have trusted these corners who honestly, I'd never thought I'd say this, but have actually been somewhat pleased with the way the corners have looked so far. Cam Brown, seven banks even got in the game. Obviously Denzel Burke, Cam Martinez had a great game at safety. I feel like these guys probably are Okay. So let them cover man-to-man in blitzing situations and not give the quarterback easy outlets whenever there's people coming to kill him. I think that was the big strategic mistake OSU made, and I think they'll recognize that in film. You could see they at least tried something different in this game. And at the end of the day, if we'd had an offense that had done anything, this was a defense that didn't give up a touchdown to the end of the third quarter, right? Then if you're playing Tulsa and it's 56-13, to we're not so concerned about the defense, right? But since the other side of the ball didn't get it done against a bad team, or at least let me rephrase that. Cause that's not fair. Obviously the running game is excellent. If your quarterback had played better for those first three quarters, we wouldn't have been talking about a one score game in the fourth quarter. The defense, uh, the defense caught as many touchdown passes as the offense. Let's be, let's be blunt here. That's how bad CJ was. And I know we were, we're sort of been talking with them, but the defense did their job, right? They gave up, you know, twenty points, and they got a pick six. So really, they were they were only minus thirteen in points allowed. In my mind, I think that we saw some good defensive changes. I think you saw a lot of young players play really well. I think when they trust these guys to play man coverage, with a uh, w- w- with with the blitzing being start, starting to be thrown in, you're going to see some progress. So I was happy with what we saw.
0: When was the last time a guy on this team who plays defensive end got an impressive sack? Yeah, those were crickets people. I guess the Zach Harrison sack in the first week, they get no pressure on the quarterback Tulsa came out on the first drive and the guy was parked back there. Like I've never seen like my, I always would tell people, Oh, they're going to a quick strike offense. Tulsa wasn't running a quick strike offense. The guy was throwing from the pocket. So it's very concerning to me that the defensive line can't get to the quarterback. I don't know if it's personnel. I can't believe it's coaching. We have Larry Johnson. So
1: it's toughness, Dan. It's toughness. They're not winning battles. And really, I mean, think about it. The freshman showed up a little bit in this game, Ty League, JTT. You know, where, where are the guys winning their battles and bursting through the line and getting to the quarterback? These guys are cold-blooded business-like, it seems like, out there, instead of the emotional, excitable players. I, I hate to call out a team for not being tough, but it feels like this team has some toughness issues. They're not winning their battles very often, period. The way you get to the quarterback is you beat the guy in front of you. That's simple. That's why we're not getting sacks and pressure.
0: Yeah, I mean, one, one of the reasons Ohio State is always cited as a national championship contender and a team that can legitimately trade punches with the SEC is the defensive line is able to play four and dominate. And they just haven't done it. They don't look that good. And it's by the way, it's not like we're getting a bunch of near misses on the quarterback and he's just getting rid of it either. This is a guy back there. You know, having a sandwich and uh, going to his third receiver. Very, very troubling. I'm not sure how it gets fixed. I guess growth from young players, but it's uh, certainly an issue that they're going to have
1: to be a with. long week in practice. Let's put it that way. It'll be a lot yeah. of hat on hat. Beat your guy. Let's get tough. I think that's got to be the this, this whole program's attitude. And uh, this is something that I touched on in the bucket. I don't know if people were all concerned about finding sponsorship opportunities over the summer, but there hasn't been a lot of emotion around this team. There hasn't been a lot of flat-out toughness and brutality that normally was one of the hallmarks of this team. So, you know, we're starting to see it a little bit with some toughness in the running game this week. But, man, the defense, they've got a long way to go up front when it comes to the very basic aspect of football, which is putting the guy in front of you on his ass and getting to the quarterback or getting to the ball carrier. If you can't beat a block, you don't play defense. And we haven't beaten nearly enough blocks this year. And we can come up with all the schematic reasons that we can think of why the D is struggling. If your guy doesn't beat the guy in front of him, you're not going to win in this sport. And that's the blunt, hard, basic truth of it. And they're not beating enough guys in front of them, period, so far.
0: Let's be thankful the Zips come into town. We're going to take a quick break, come back, break down the rest of the country. All right, we are back. We're going to go through some Big Ten scores first, and then we will hit the national ones that matter. I heard an ESPN operative today say that he thought Penn State was the most complete team in college football. I nearly drove off the road, but maybe he's right. Penn State outlasted Auburn at home last night in a whiteout. They won 28-20. They are 3-0. How impressed are you with the Knits?
1: Well, they clearly have two of the best wins in the country. I mean, they should be in the top five after this week, in my opinion. Like always, I don't trust Sean Clifford to be a quarterback that's going to win a championship of any variety, but they certainly have some pieces there. I think the rest of the country woke up last night to how good Jahan Dotson is at receiver for them. And honestly, that was a great win for Penn State. Flip side of this is is that if you look at their wins, They narrowly beat Auburn at home, heavily helped by a crowd that was ravenous the whole game, and Auburn's, you know, barely a top 25 team in my opinion, and then they went out and they beat Wisconsin in one of the ugliest games of the year, so it's two great wins for Penn State. They're probably the favorite in the East right now after the way OSU has looked, but I I, I hesitate to say that they are suddenly the most complete team in the country because my brain can't wrap it around the idea that Sean Clifford would win a division, much less a conference championship or any playoff games. So Penn state's definitely a darn good team this year. I'm, I'm very glad they're not on the schedule next week. Let's put it that way.
0: Iowa beat Kent state 30 to seven. I'm not sure that needs discussion. I watched pretty much all of this game, Cincinnati at Indiana This was a really big deal for Indiana as a football program in terms of fan support, et cetera. I thought they played Cincinnati really well. They had some mistakes late. Here's what's clear, though. Indiana is not what they were last year. The quarterback, Michael Pennock is having trouble coming back. Ty Freifogel, who kills the Buckeyes, was awful against Cincinnati. Your thoughts on the Hoosiers?
1: Quarterback play killed them. They, they have this. They, their quarterback in Phoenix was a guy who was really good. And, you know, he's not had a great start to the year. That's the blunt answer. He made a lot of mistakes in this game. And you know, with some quarterback play, this is an easy, easily a game they would have won. So IU is clearly not the same dangerous team they were before, but they're one of those teams that could be a chaos type team where, you know, one week they, they, they stink and then the next week they all of a sudden are good. They may have taken that role from Purdue in the Big Ten as the designated chaos team in the league but they're not as good as we thought they were.
0: The Fighting Mel Tucker's beat Miami 38 to 17. Michigan State is 3 and 0. Miami is just a counterfeit program, but what do you make of Sparty being 3 and 0?
1: Yeah, I mean, Sparty beat Miami as bad as Alabama beat Miami, so I think Miami's just not good, but Sparty being 3 and 0 is a real testament to Mel Tucker. I had no belief that michigan state would win maybe three games all year they've already won three so this is a team that's really gotten it together i'm interested to see how they do in big 10 play now because if you look at the big 10 east you got a bunch of teams who are sitting at three and oh or look like contenders right now and the big 10 by the way has a winning record out of conference against the big 12 the sec and the pac-12 and they have a they're two and two against the acc Quietly, this has been one of the best years for the Big Ten and non-conference play in a long time. Nobody's noticing it, though, because everybody thinks about Ohio State and looks at us and goes, ooh, it's not looking good. But the rest of the conference is getting the job done.
0: Speaking of which, a lot of people thought Oklahoma was going to put a 50-burger on Nebraska. Not at all. Oklahoma jumped out early, but Nebraska almost won that game. They lost 23-16. to I think in the long run, that's going to be more of an indictment of Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, and this is one of those games that – I, I put this in the bucket of bullets, so make sure you guys read it, but Oklahoma is supposed to be one of the hyper-elite teams, right? They're the ones that are always in the playoffs. I'm sure they get throttled by the other top teams. But, man, if you can't pull away from Nebraska, then – and by the way, Nebraska should have won this game. That score is deceiving because Nebraska's kicking game absolutely failed them. They missed multiple field goals. And they had an extra point blocked in return for a two-point conversion for Oklahoma. That's the margin of victory if their kicking game just hits their kicks, right? I mean, seriously, that is, that is a, I think, an eight-point swing. So Nebraska, you can make an argument, should have won at Oklahoma. and That's not a good sign for Oklahoma because I think everybody thought this game was going to be Oklahoma picks their score, Nebraska six. And it did not pan out that way at all. Adrian Martinez looked like a good quarterback against Oklahoma, something I've never said before. So, yeah, I think it's an indictment on Oklahoma. And I think a lot of these top tier teams, it really feels like there's an evening this year among a lot of the top of the pack. I'm very fascinated to see how this season goes and just how much chaos we get. It has 2007 vibes early on to me.
0: Michigan, ranked 25, beat Northern Illinois 63-10. to 10. Their quarterback threw the ball 11 times. They were just a lot better than Northern Illinois. Here's a result that kind of surprised me. Minnesota goes on the road, beats Colorado 30 to nothing. Colorado <laughs> lost 10-7 to Texas A&M last week. So if you're doing the linear game, that's impressive. How about those fighting P.J. Flex?
1: They allowed 63 yards of offense in that game. That's insane in 2021 to give up 60 of offense on the road to a team that nearly beat a top-five team last week. Minnesota's good. Like, that's going to go down as, I think, a better win in retrospect for OSU than we thought. And to be honest, that's without Mo Ibrahim, too. So Minnesota's a decent team. I mean, that's that's, that's the one big positive to take out of this is, is that OSU's first game was against a pretty darn good team, and they won, and it was a nice win. So Minnesota's looking like they could be a contender in the West this year.
0: Purdue goes down at Notre Dame, 27-13. Like I said, I think more people will be concerned that Notre Dame didn't look all that impressive. Let's move to the national scene. Alabama, which was supposed to be the greatest football team in the history of football, should have been tied up with Florida at the end. The once going to be a Buckeye, Emory Jones. Screwed up the two-point conversion. But were you surprised to see Florida trade punches? And what does this mean for Bama?
1: Yeah, Florida's not great, to be honest. They don't even have a quarterback figured out yet. They keep switching between Jones and Robinson. And I thought Alabama – the game started the way I thought it was going to start, which was Alabama blowing their doors off. And Florida fought back. Bama kind of bogged itself down. And, you know – I think Alabama playing a tight game with Florida is more representative of what they are this year than the early season blowout they had against what people claimed was a good Miami team. Obviously that Miami team's pretty darn bad. I don't think Alabama's undefeatable this year either. I think it's going to be very interesting to watch them because I, I, I think that much like Ohio state, Oklahoma, Clemson, they're a step down from where they were last year, where they have been the last couple of years. It, it feels like there's some warning signs around Alabama, too. It's not just Ohio State. But you got to give Bama credit. They beat a top-10 team on the road. So that, that, that's a nice win. But they're not this overwhelming dominant team that everybody is sitting here chasing, I don't think now that they may win the rest of their games too. And we may look back at it and go, yeah, well, Bama's still the Death Star. I mean, that's totally possible. And of all the top teams, they're the one that seems to be on the most solid footing. But there's a trend going on here. And I do think this is a sign for Bama that uh, maybe they're not quite as ahead of the game as people expected them to be.
0: They struggled to run the ball against Florida, and Florida's offensive line pushed around their defensive line, so that's something to watch going forward. Georgia crushed South Carolina 40 to 13. I'm not sure that's worthy of chatter. Oregon defeated Stony Brook 48 to 7. If you are not wearing Ducks gear during their games, you're doing it wrong. Clemson. Now, here's another team that should have serious issues. I'm so I'm going to say it right here. I'm not sure DJ Uglegele or whatever his name is. I'm not sure he's good.
1: You know, they have a five-star quarterback from California. Underperforming. It sounds very much like Ohio State. The difference is that defense is still getting it done for Clemson. Um, I, Clemson doesn't feel like a scary team to me this year. They feel like a three loss team. Watching them play, Georgia Tech's not good. Like they're just not. That's not a good team. That's the sort of team the last couple of years Clemson has pounded by five touchdowns. They have no offense whatsoever. And DJU. You know, for last year when everybody was talking about when he came in and played okay, when Trevor Lawrence was out with a COVID suspension against uh, Notre Dame, look, that team isn't very good right now. That offense isn't very good. I can see them not even winning their division in the ACC this year. And this is, this is yet another example of, you know, who have been the guys that are always there? It's Clemson, it's Alabama, it's Ohio State, it's Oklahoma. Those are the four teams that have the most playoff bursts by a wide margin. And what do we have? Underwhelming Ohio State, underwhelming Clemson, underwhelming Oklahoma, and Bama looks okay. But the gap has narrowed between them and the next tier. The Oregons, Penn State's, Georgias, you know, you've got some teams that are, I mean, even Texas a and and Florida, I could say, are, are sort of closing the gap a little bit. We don't even have an idea yet if somebody like a Michigan is all of a sudden better, which I don't think so. They haven't played anybody worth a damn, but they're still winning big in games, right? So you've got some some teams. The other one that I would point out is Notre Dame has made a couple playoffs recently. They won their first two games barely against bad teams by field goals, and then Purdue played them tight. And Purdue's a decent team, but I would have figured Notre Dame, if they were actually legit, would have won by a lot more than that. That was a nail-biter into the fourth quarter. So the top tier – early on, don't look dominant. They just don't. And Clemson and Ohio State are pretty emblematic of where that's at right now. And I mentioned earlier, this season has 2007 vibes. those of you who don't remember, that was the year a two-loss LSU won the national title. So if it's a chaos season, it's all the more fun for everybody. But, man, there's a lot of teams that are looking at themselves in the mirror going, oof, we got some work to do.
0: The new rankings are set to come out. Ohio State will be ranked, I think, if I had to guess, somewhere between 9 and 11. If you were going to rank Ohio State right now, meaning they are the blank best team in the country, where would you put them?
1: Well, if we're doing like a power ranking of games played this week, I would put them 15 to 20 because I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to be able to get it done against better teams. Uh, The reality is there's a lot of teams ranked below them right now that I'm glad we're not playing right now. Simple answer. I'm really glad the Michigan games at the end of the year, because I could tell you which team's more confident right now. I would tell you I'd probably put OSU closer to 20 than 15. And that's from a lack of faith in a quarterback. And that's from a lack of confidence in a D-line getting any push. And by the way, the scheme is in flux and everybody's still sort of thinking. So, yeah, this, this program is very fortunate. Their, their schedule is Akron Rutgers, Maryland right now. Because they need to start getting well before they get into the second half of the schedule against most of the better Big Ten teams. By the way, Maryland's also 3-0. and Rutgers also 3-0. and So this isn't going to be as easy as you make it out to be saying, oh, it's just Rutgers and Maryland, right? So, yeah, I, I, I don't have a ton of confidence in the Buckeyes right now. I could probably name 20 teams I think would beat them this weekend. Luckily, they're playing Akron.
0: I was going to say, thankfully... None of them are named Akron. If we're here next Sunday complaining about a subpar performance against Akron, that is going to be what I call a drink of choice game. We're going to all be imbibing alcohol on Sunday morning during the show. We appreciate the people's champ, Matt Maxnell, making some time for us on a Sunday. Go read the bucket. Have a good one, Bucknutters.